when Tom came here, we have been best friends for 25 years and worked together. We came on staff at Trinity together at the same time over 22 years ago. And um, I was telling the group last night, you know, we there was an offering that we took at Trinity about five years ago. And uh, my wife and I were praying about what to give in that offering, and the Lord told us to give everything. And, uh, you know, every, that's kind of a scary thing to hear. And it's not what we were praying to hear, but that's what the Lord said. And um, we took our stocks and our savings and our checking and drained it. And we gave all of our liquid assets and an offering uh, just one Sunday. We brought a check down and put it in a container at the front of the building. And it was scary. And it was, uh, you know, kind of frightening and exciting and all those kind of things when you give everything in an offering like that. But I never cried over it. You know, it wasn't an offering that I boohooed over or anything like that. But Pastor Robert and I were talking in January, and he was talking about the need that he had for somebody like Tom. And, uh, you know, and I, the, the Lord was telling me to give, give him Tom. Well, that is the biggest gift I've ever given to anybody. That's a gift I've cried over ever since. And I just want you to know, been a lot of tears shed over Tom coming here. And if y'all don't appreciate him, we're going to take him back to Amarillo. And uh, he is a phenomenal, I've never met a better man than Tom Lane. And so it's just, uh, it's a joy to be here and see my, my best friend here. But uh, I tell you, you've got a, a jewel in him and all the staff that you have here at Gateway. You know, George coming on and I see Mike Brisky back there and just what a phenomenal group of people. God has brought together here at Gateway to do a very, very special work for him, and I'm just honored to be some part of that. This morning, if you have your Bible there, if you'll turn to Ephesians chapter 5, um, uh, Pastor Robert actually asked me to speak on the subject of marriage this morning, and so that's what I'm going to speak on. Um, I told him, you know, that uh, I had just a couple of sermons on marriage that I could preach, so um, I'm going to bring one this morning. I think I think everybody ought to work on their marriage and be concerned about it. One of the reasons I think you ought to work on your marriage is so that no one ever looks at you and becomes inspired to write a country western song. <laughs> now, well, it's just the truth. It's one of my goals in life. And uh, let me just give you an example about some actual country western songs, sad country western songs. These are actual titles of country western songs. You've probably never heard them before, but you're going to be glad they weren't written about you. Here, here are some country western song titles. First is, How Can I Miss You If You Won't Go Away? Isn't that terrible? Here's another one. I keep forgetting I forgot about you. I'm so miserable without you, it's like having you here. It's an actual country western song title. I like this one. If the phone don't ring, you'll know it's me. Here's my favorite. If I'd shot you when I wanted to, I'd be out by now. Let's just set the mood here for a little marriage talk. Now, let's just... I want to talk this morning about God's perfect plan for marriage. God has a perfect plan for marriage. I I don't know if you've noticed or not, but marriage is under attack in America. Now listen to this, in in studies that have been done, been replicated several times, widespread studies, secular studies across America, they ask people, how important is a stable marriage for a lifetime to you? 93% of adult Americans say that a stable marriage for a lifetime is very important to them. The same is true of young people. Across the board, people want 
a stable marriage for a lifetime. It's just simply the way that God created us. Unfortunately, of the same group of people who say that a stable marriage is important to them, less than half of that same group believes that it's possible today. And here's what I'm saying to you. People haven't lost the dream of a happy marriage. They've lost the hope. And I'm here this morning, and maybe you're here and you're single. Single people today and young people today are terrified of marriage. Terrified of marriage. We've interviewed young people for our television program, and they're terrified of marriage because of all the problems that they see. They have the desire to be married, but they're afraid of it. I just want to say to you this morning, if you're here and you're single or you're young and you're afraid of it, you don't need to be afraid of it. It's, it God has a perfect plan for it, and you can succeed in marriage. Regardless of what you've seen or where you've been, if you're here today and you're divorced, you've had problems in marriage, and, and maybe you're remarried or, or maybe you're not married, but you've had a lot of pain in this area, I want you to know that God can heal your heart and that you can succeed in marriage. It doesn't matter what mistakes that you've made or done wrong. It's amazing that anybody succeeds in marriage today in America because we're just not taught about this. We're not taught about it in school, the television, certainly, except for our program. We're not informed about marriage in our culture. And so a lot of people are failing, but I want you to know if you're here and you have failed or you're having problems, you can succeed. Many of you here are married. But, you know, the devil hates marriage. He's constantly attacking people's marriages. And if you just feel like you're under attack, well, just join the club. We, we are all under attack because Satan hates marriage because it is the first institution that God ever created on this earth. It is the cell of the social soul. God said it is not good for man to be alone. It's not good. It's not God for man to be alone. He created us for marriage. And so I just want you to know God has a perfect plan for marriage and you can succeed in marriage. And His perfect plan is found in Ephesians chapter 5. This is the Apostle Paul. We're going to begin reading here with verse 22. It begins by saying, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church. And he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word that he might present her to himself, a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. For we're members of his body, of his flesh and of his bones. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Let me just say, this is the most revelatory text in the world concerning marriage. In the Old Testament, we don't have a lot of information about marriage in the Old Testament. We have God's original design in Genesis chapter 2, but we just don't have great text in the Old Testament that tell us the details of marriage. This, in the Bible, is the greatest revelation that we have. And let me just say, this is God's perfect plan for marriage. There is no other plan. There is no plan B. We either do it this way or we don't do it at all. And let me just say this, in over 20 years of marriage counseling, I can just tell you, it is my opinion that this is the most unpopular text of Scripture in the entire Bible. 
I have counseled believers. Most of my counseling has been with believers. I have counseled Christians who are having marriage problems, you know, at some level for over 20 years, and this is where I take them to begin with, Ephesians chapter 5, and I can just tell you, I've had this scripture thrown right back at me over and over and over again. I can count on one hand the number of people that I have read this to in counseling that accepted it with joy and did it gladly. Most people have tremendous difficulty with this scripture text right here. Now, first of all, we all like what it says about our spouse. We just don't like what it says about us. You know, every every single man, men who don't know any other verse in the Bible, know the one about submitting to Him as the Lord. And, you know, I used to quote that to Karen all the time. You're supposed to submit to me as to the Lord. It was a near-death experience. I saw the tunnel, the white light, the whole thing. And so, you, uh, a lot of men, this is the only scripture they know. You're supposed to submit to me, woman. Like that. Well, okay. And so women, for, for every woman, you know, to have a husband that lays his life down for her and nourishes and cherishes him. And of course, that's when, when a man quotes the scripture about submission, she quotes that scripture. And so it just gets into this battle that we like what it says about our spouse. In fact, we love what it says about our spouse. We just don't like what it says about us. And we fear going first. This is when I get people in counseling that they don't necessarily refute completely what the Bible says about them. They just don't want to go first. Women have an attitude like, well, I would submit to him like the Lord, but he acts like the devil. And if I submitted to him, it would just encourage him. And I can't do that. He does not need to be encouraged in his present state. Men have an attitude like, well, if I lay my life down for her and humble myself before her, you know, I'm going to be cleaning the house all night while she's sipping herbal tea in the bathtub. I will be doing dishes when Jesus comes. And... uh I'm just not going to do that. So there, there's just all this, you know, problem related to believing this and doing it. I just want to say again, there is no other plan. You either do this or you fail. And in America today, we don't have to look far to see people are failing in marriage. People are losing hope in marriage. But I want you to know there is hope, but hope is in the scripture that we just read. Jesus said, you'll know the truth and the truth will make you free, free from fear, free from failure free from frustration, free from anger, free from disappointment, free to succeed in what He wants you to do. And so this is God's only plan for marriage, and it is a perfect plan for marriage. And let me just tell you this morning why I believe that this is God's perfect plan. Number one, the roles in Ephesians 5 make us attractive to our spouse. A lot of people, you know, when they read the Bible and they read about what God says about marriage, they think, oh, you know, that's so dumb. You know, for me to have to submit to him as the Lord. And of course, that's very unpopular in our culture today. And for, you know, for a man, you know, for me to lay my life down for her and to serve her and to nourish and cherish her and all that. Did you understand that God is not trying to put you into bondage or to put a ball and chain on your foot and take away your happiness? This is the key to your spouse's heart. This is the way that we become attractive to each other. Let me just give you an example of this. The number one need of a man is honor. Respect. It's a man's number one need. But more profound than his need for sex. Men tremendously need honor. Men gravitate to where they get the most honor and they run from where they feel like that they're dishonored. Some women can't understand why their husband always works or he's always with his buddies or something like that. And I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying men gravitate to the place where they get the most honor. And God has designed a woman to be that place the place that a man is drawn to, that you give him more honor 
than anyone else. First Peter 3 tells a woman that she's supposed to uh, respect her husband, submit to him, even if he's disobedient to the word. And it says a gentle and quiet spirit is very precious in the sight of God. God is, and gentle and quiet doesn't mean mousy. Women are absolutely equal to men. Every woman is absolutely a man's equal in every way, including in marriage. Being gentle and quiet doesn't mean being a doormat and being mousy, but the opposite of gentle and quiet is loud and aggressive. A loud and aggressive woman is unattractive to a man. A loud and aggressive woman is unattractive to God. It says a gentle and quiet spirit is very precious in the sight of God. Did you realize this morning, do you know why we praise and worship first in a worship in a, in a worship service? It's because God inhabits the praise of His people. It doesn't matter what else we do if we don't have God's presence in our midst. We praise and worship first because it invokes the presence of God. Did you know God never inhabits the praises of grumbling or negativity? There has never been a grumbler going to the presence of God. Psalm 100 says we enter into His gates with thanksgiving and enter into His very presence with praise. God never allows His holy of holies to be accessed with anyone who's negative. And understand this, we have been created in the image of God. You can't get into my inner sanctum unless you're, unless you, you're, you respect me, unless you honor me. Did you know that, and every woman here wants intimacy? Intimacy is very important to women. Understand, you cannot have intimacy with a man unless you're dealing with his heart. You can't have intimacy with his head or just with his body or something else. You've got to get to his heart and he will never open his heart to you unless you're praising him. Honoring women are very, very attractive to men. The, the opposite of women, the, the, the need of a woman. The number one need of a woman is the need of security. And so as the Bible tells a woman to honor her husband, that's what makes her attractive to him. But what makes a man attractive to a woman is making her feel secure. Women have a tremendous need to feel secure. They want to know that their needs are going to be met in a sensitive and sacrificial way. They don't want to have to nag. They don't want to have to ask constantly. They want a husband who's paying attention, who's studying and who's there before she has to say something, and she and he's just constantly, to his own hurt, to, to his own needs not going met, he will sacrificially meet her needs. And that's what the Bible says, that we're supposed to lay down our lives for our wives as Christ did the church. Her need is security. So I want you to listen to this. You know, God has just designed women in such a way that they're attracted to that type of a man. There, there's a study, this is a secular study, again, that's been replicated several times. And women were asked, this is a widespread secular study, women were asked, when is your husband most sexually attractive to you? The number one answer of women is when he's doing housework. When he's doing housework. Now, they did a study, and I believe this was the University of Pennsylvania, they did this study, and they took male sweat and they applied it to women's lips. Now, they did not tell the women that it was male sweat. They told them it was a household product they were testing. And they they took this male sweat and they applied it to women's upper lips. And then they asked them, to, to how do you feel? To tell What is your physiological response to what we have just put on your upper lip here? And women said, first of all, I feel happy. Secondly, I feel relaxed. And third, I'm feeling very romantic. Very romantic. So let me tell you how to have a big night around the house. Now, just let the man clean the house, let the woman watch him, and when he's finished, just smell him. 
That's all you have to do. Have a big night around the house. You know, forget the flowers, the fancy dinners. Gentlemen, you're a clean house away from the night of your dreams. That's what I'm saying. And so, you know, God just made women that way. And men are always trying to, you know, kind of bulk up and tan up and all that kind of stuff. Just grab the vacuum. That's all you got to do is clean the house. And so women, women are attracted to a sacrificial man. All the ladies need to say amen in here. Is they're attracted to that. Men are attracted to honor. Women are attracted to a sacrificial man. So when Ephesians 5 tells us what our role is, he's not trying to put you in bondage. He's trying to set you free. He's trying to make you attractive to the opposite sex. And we have to stop listening to the devil as he accuses God's word to us. God is brilliant. He's brilliant. He's given us a perfect plan that will never fail. The second reason that this plan is so perfect is because the roles in Ephesians 5 release the potential in our spouse. We can never reach our potential until we're doing what this says here. Now this is Genesis 2.18 that I mentioned earlier. This is God speaking, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper comparable to him. A helper. It's not good that man would be alone. God looked at Adam, and when God looked at Adam without Eve, he said, this isn't good. It's not God for man to be alone. This is not good. So he creates a helper. Why? Because Adam cannot reach his potential without Eve. And Eve cannot reach her potential without Adam. We need each other. Let me say a word about singleness here for just a minute. If you're here and you're single, please do not hear me saying that you're incomplete and you can't reach your potential. Now, there are two kinds of single people, and one is those who are single and they want to be married. But also there are some who are single and they're called to be single for the rest of their lives. The Apostle Paul in the Bible says that he was single and he wished that others would remain single so that they could be like him. Singles in the Bible are not looked at as a subculture. They're looked at as a superculture, the elite forces of God. There are some of you who God has called to be single. You're complete in Christ. And so, but you're the, you're the vast minority. Most of us are called to be married. I'm, I am so glad I got married at 19 years old and I'm just saying it, uh, my wife was the best thing that ever happened to me. And so I got married when I was 19. God had called me to be married. And for most of us, we're called to be married. We can't reach our potential until we're fulfilling our roles in marriage. Let me, let me just give you an example of this about this, this issue of reaching our potential. Did you know that a 48-year-old married man has a 90% chance of reaching the age of 65? But did you know that a 48-year-old single man only has a 60% chance of reaching the age of 65? Men are dramatically better off with a woman in their life. So when the Bible says it's not good for a man to be alone, that's exactly what he meant. It's not good for women to be alone. Uh, liberal feminism back in the 1950s and 60s, uh, women like Betty Friedan and others, who are the leaders of the, the liberal feminist movement, they declared war on marriage and they stated formally that women will never be free until marriage is abolished. You have to understand, liberal feminism wants marriage to be completely abolished from the American society. So when we talk about a war on marriage, there is an absolute vicious war on marriage. They're just one of the participants in that war. But they formally stated, we are for the abolishment of marriage because marriage has always oppressed women. There is a woman named Linda Waite who is a sociologist at the University of Chicago. And Linda Waite did a very widespread study on women and the effects of marriage on women. Linda Waite is a self-professed liberal feminist. 
And at the end of her research, she wrote a book called The Case for Marriage. And in it, she documents without question that women are dramatically better off emotionally, financially, and physically if they're married. In fact, the number one predictor of the well-being of women in America is their marital status. A liberal feminist. Women and men are dramatically better off married than if we're not married. Let me just give you an example here of how our roles bring out the best in us and cause us to be fulfilled. Ephesians 5.29, the Bible says that a husband is supposed to nourish and cherish his wife as he would his own body. Those are agricultural terms. The word nourish means to feed to maturity. It means like fertilizing and feeding and watering something as it grows. The word cherish means to protect that process with all diligence. Don't let anything happen to what it is that you're trying to bring up to, to fulfillment. Now, I want you to listen to me. The role of every husband is to be God's partner that whatever God created that woman in her mother's womb to become, He is going to help her get there. See, the reason that a lot of women become so demoralized in marriage is because they feel like they're being used. That's the way I was with Karen when we first got married. I, I wasn't there to meet her needs. I wasn't there. I never even thought in the back of my mind that I was there to somehow partner with God to bring her to her fulfillment. That That's not the way that I thought. She was there for me and she was there to meet my needs. And when she didn't meet my needs, I just began to emotionally and verbally assault her. Never physically, but verbally and emotionally. And I beat her down and beat her down and beat her down. And so we were on the brink of divorce because I was a jerk. I was just a total jerk. I wasn't nourishing and cherishing her. I wasn't a Christ-like husband. But I changed. I understood that I needed to change. And I began to see scriptures like that. And then I became God's partner. I remember when I woke up one morning and became God's partner to bring my wife to her fullest potential. And I want you to know, if God would have come back early in our marriage, and every man here, you have to understand, the greatest gift that God will ever give you is a wife. That is your greatest stewardship in all of life. And every man here, you have to understand, you will stand before Jesus Christ one day in judgment, and you will look him dead in the eye, and he will look at you and call you into account for what you've done with that woman. And for many men, they will have to look Jesus in the eye and say, I abused her, I took her for granted. I used her. I made her serve me, but I would not serve her. I was selfish, and I was not sacrificial to their shame. And that's the way I would have been. But I can tell you, gentlemen, today, if Jesus comes right now, or if I die, I can stand boldly before God in judgment, and I can say, what you created, Karen Evans, to achieve in life, I have been your partner to see it happen. When we, you know, I encourage Karen. I do whatever I can to just bring her to her full potential, to see in her the potential and to call it out and to encourage it. Ten years ago when we started our television program, uh, we sat you know, on, on the set for the first time doing a TV show and Karen didn't want to talk. She was real shy. She's always battled with low self-esteem. She doesn't today, but she did all through her life. And we sat on the, the TV set and she told me, she said, Jimmy, I'm just going to sit here and you talk. You're the talker in the family and I'm not going to talk. And I said, Karen, I think it's going to be awkward at some point, you know, maybe five or ten years from now, that America notices you've never talked. And and so you're on this television program, you've got the wisdom of God in you, and you're going to talk. We made her talk. We wrote lines out for her. She begged not to talk. Ladies and gentlemen, it's ten years later, we can't shut her up. We can't shut her up. She's phenomenal on television. She's got so much wisdom. We put her in front of the camera. She just begins to talk and we get letters and emails from all over America of women whose lives have been changed by Karen. 
And I can, and I can stand before God and say, I was the cheerleader of that. I was the one who encouraged her. You can become more. If, if your wife was created in her mother's womb to become a rocket scientist, a, an, you know, an astronaut, a mathematician, a teacher, a secretary, you know, a, a stay-at-home mom, whatever it is that God created her to become, you're the custodian of that. You're the steward of that, gentlemen. And I've never met a woman who minded that. Every woman, her dream is to have a husband that her husband is constantly focusing on her giftings and abilities and skills and saying, I want to bring you to the next level. I want to, I want to take you to the stars, baby. I'm the astronaut who's taking you to the moon. <laughs> Let me say something, gentlemen. You talk about, you talk about opening her heart to you. That's what every man is here for. The reason that women, you know, the, I'm going to go back to the National Organization for Women. I do not agree with the beliefs of the National Organization of Women. I don't agree with their policies or philosophies, but I totally agree with their pain. When I look at the National Organization of Women, I'm just seeing women who have been battered and abused. Women have been abused for thousands of years. You know, in Jesus' day, the, the Pharisees in Matthew 19 came up to Jesus and said, is it lawful for us to divorce our wives for any cause at all? Do you realize that the, that the religious leaders of those days, women were called chattel, property. They had no children. They had no property. All a man had to do in Jesus' day to divorce his wife was to take her to the front door, hand her a piece of paper that said, I divorce you. And he stood her at the front door and said, I divorce thee, I divorce thee, I divorce thee. She left without a penny and without a child, and she went back to her family in shame many times to be killed. That, those, that was what women did. And, and around the world, it is, uh, Pastor George goes over to the Middle East. He's going into the part of the world that women are still treated that way in many, in many cases. I'm just saying, I agree with the pain of women, and I'm saying it's time for a revival of righteous men. It's time for men to, to just rise up and to say, these are the most precious things that have ever been given to us, and we're not going to make them fight for the right to vote, or fight for fair treatment, or fight for fair pay. We're going to give it to them before they ask, and we're going to take them to the top. That's the way that God created marriage. And it's a perfect plan and it never abuses a woman. She can, she cannot reach her potential. Women cannot reach their potential fighting men in the process. Men have to be their cheerleaders and their guides in that process and their, their helpmates. The role of women in the Bible. God's role for women. How does it bring a man to his full potential? Because it says submit to him as the Lord. Well, how does that help? Well, uh, Ephesians 5.33, the end of Ephesians 5 where we read, it says, it's summarizing the text there. It says, let a woman see that she respects her husband. Men are tremendously sensitive to the issue of honor, as I've already said. Men, men ascend in an atmosphere of honor. Women ascend in an atmosphere of care and nurturing. Men ascend in an atmosphere of honor. I want you to listen to this. Proverbs 31 is talking about the excellent wife. It's the whole text of Proverbs 31 is an excellent wife, and all the things that this wonderful woman does. It says her husband is an elder in the gates of the city. It attributes it to her, not to him. It's talking about all of her virtues, and it says she has made her husband an elder in the gates of the city. How do you make your husband an elder? Is you treat him like an elder before he is one. You create an atmosphere of honor, and in that atmosphere, your husband will ascend. Men are tremendously motivated now by this issue. It says of Sarah in 1 Peter 3, where I was telling you earlier where it says, a gentle and quiet spirit is precious in the sight of God. It says, thus Sarah 
obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Abraham and Sarah in the Old Testament. A lot of women say, well, if I had a husband like Abraham, I'd call him Lord too. She gave him a title of tremendous honor. You say, well, if your husband was like Abraham, you'd honor him too. Okay, that's great. We know on two occasions Abraham lied. There were kings that approached Abraham. Uh, By the way, Sarah was good looking. The Bible says that she was lovely of form and face. It means she had a, a good figure and a pretty face. And these these kings, on two occasions, kings came up to Abraham and approached him, which is a very intimidating thing anyway, foreign kings. And they came up, and as they approached, they immediately locked in on Sarah. And they walked up on two occasions and said, Who is she? And Abraham says, She's my sister. And they took Sarah into their homes to sleep with them. And if God did not intervene on two occasions... Sarah would have slept with another man because of Abraham and a lot of people would have gotten killed. So I'm just saying, your husband's done some dumb things, but never anything that dumb. And not twice. And so when it says that Sarah obeyed Abraham as to the, you know, that she called him Lord, is it understand she, she was, she was talking to a liar and a coward. Abraham had a problem with lying and cowardice. But she honored him anyway. And who did he become? The father of the faith. And so ladies, I just want you to understand is that your husband will ascend in the presence of your praise. When when you fulfill your biblical role, your husband will become the man that God wants him to become. You know, in uh, a good wife is basically just a good cheerleader. And the reason, and I don't know about women's sports as much, but you know the reason that they have cheerleaders in sports is because they work. It helps. When men are competing... Men are tremendously motivated by what the cheerleaders are doing on the sideline. I just say, when I played sports and stuff, when I played football back when I was in junior high, I remember we used to run plays where the cheerleaders were so that we could do something great in front of the cheerleaders because we loved it. And the nature of a cheerleader is even when things are going bad, they remain positive. You know, the team's just getting killed. The score's just terrible. And they're over there going, defense, defense, defense. Hold that line. Hold that line. Instead of, you bunch of pansies, tackle somebody! What's wrong with you? Can you imagine the football team? They walk off the field if that happened. The cheerleaders are over there and they're just rooting like that. And I'm just telling you that that cheerleaders have a tremendous impact. Men are so motivated. You know, a man will slide down a mountain of razor blades to land in a lake of lemon juice to hear one idiot say, you're the man. And he gets right back up and goes and does it again. We do. That's just the way we are. And so if a woman is going to help her husband to ascend, and I tell ladies this all the time, if he only does one thing right, just talk about it all the time. Just just focus on that one thing. You know, honey, you've woken up every morning since I've known you. You you are phenomenal at waking up. And I just want to say thank you. Thank you. Kids, your daddy, I'm telling you, he's awake a lot of the time. And I mean it just he'll just he just he'll ascend into that environment. So when the Bible tells us to do something, it's for a reason. There's a logic behind it. It is the only way that both of us can get where we're going. And there's one other thing I want to say very quickly as I close. The roles in Ephesians 5 disarm our sin nature. All of us have a sin nature. You remember Genesis 2, God created marriage. And Adam and Eve in Genesis 2 were wonderful helpmates. By the way, in Genesis 2, there was never a word of who the boss was. In a good marriage, you don't even think about who the boss is. It's just a wonderland of love and equality. You don't even think about it. 
And But when sin came into marriage in Genesis chapter 3, you remember they hid themselves, they could not be intimate, they hid themselves with fig leaves and they rejected each other. And their wonderful marriage turned into a nightmare. And I want to talk just a minute about why the roles in marriage are different. And the reason is, is because our sin natures are different as it relates to marriage. That all, all of us have a sin nature, but there is a difference between the basic sin nature of a woman and the basic sin nature of a man as it relates to marriage. I want you to listen to this. The Bible says in Ephesians 5 to women, women, honor your husband as you would the Lord Jesus Christ in everything. It says to men, and by the way, Ephesians 5 says twice as much to men as it says to women. But it says to men, nourish and cherish her, lay your life down for her. Well, I want you to remember how Adam and Eve sinned in Genesis 3 because they sinned in different ways. Remember, the devil came up to Eve and uh, Eve was standing there and the devil just slithered up and he began to speak to Eve. And he said to her, has God surely said you can't eat from that tree? And she said, yeah, we can't eat it or touch it lest we die. And he said, you'll surely not die. And he sits there and he he converses with her. And finally she eats the fruit. Now I want you to listen to this. Adam's standing right there. She never converses with Adam. She never asked him his opinion. She never asked for a balancing opinion. And God is about to walk up. We know that God walked with them in the cool of the day. And God is about to walk up. All she has to do is just wait just a minute. And God's about to walk up. The reason that we know that God's about to walk up is because as soon as she ate the fruit, God walked up. And so God is about to walk up. She doesn't have to wait very long to talk to God about this thing because Satan's accusing him. And all she has to do is turn to her husband. Do you realize that Eve believed that without consulting man or God, she had all the information she needed to make a right conclusion? The sin nature of women is independence. The Bible says that women even have a greater disposition toward deception for that reason. It's not that men cannot be deceived. But there is there is within women just a belief that I have within me residing everything I need to make a right decision. The sin nature of men is a little different than that. Adam had been commanded by God to subject the earth and to take dominion over every creeping thing that crept on the earth. In other words, when the devil walked up and he began to talk against God... Adam was under a commandment to kill him, to, to, to subdue the earth. And that is a very radical term there. It means to subjugate by force. As soon as the devil slithered up and began to speak to Eve, and he listened to the entire thing, his responsibility was just to step in and say, excuse me, honey, and cut his head off. But Adam stood, sat there, listened to the entire conversation, never did anything, watched his wife eat the forbidden fruit, and then hand it to him. Men's sin nature is apathy and insensitivity. Just kind of an out-to-lunch spirit. It's just men just kind of sit there and it's just this kind of a thing. Life's going by and ESPN. And so here's what the Bible says. I've got a fix for that sin nature. Gentlemen, with your lazy, apathetic spirit, I'm going to give you twice as much responsibility. And if you will take the extra layer of responsibility that I put on you, it will constantly keep your sin nature from destroying your marriage. Ladies, I'm going to put an extra layer of authority on you. You have an independent nature. I want you to remember you need your husband and you need God. I'm putting an extra layer of authority on you. If women will accept the extra layer of authority, and all men are supposed to be submitted also, And if men will take the extra layer of responsibility, our sin natures are subdued and we can relate perfectly without harming each other.
And I want to say something this morning. If you're a woman here and you cannot submit, and if you're a man here and you will not lay your life down for your wife and take your responsibility, your sin nature is controlling you and you'll never have a happy marriage. I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, this morning that Ephesians chapter 5 is the perfect plan for marriage. It accomplishes everything that God wants to accomplish. If you're here and you're single, I want you to know you have a 100% chance of success in marriage if you do it God's way. If you're here and you've been divorced, and you may have been a victim of divorce because not all divorces are equals and not all divorcees are equal. But understand this, if you're here and you've been divorced and you feel frustrated and even afraid, do what God's Word says and you'll succeed. You won't fail again if you do it God's way. If you're here today and you're married, and maybe your marriage isn't everything that it's supposed to be, I'm encouraging you. You leave here and you do it God says. Don't wait for your spouse to do it first. I like what Joyce Meyer says. The best person does the right thing first. If you're the best person in your marriage, if you think you're better than your wife, or you think you're better than your husband, then you prove it by doing the right thing first. And as you begin to do what God tells you to do, I promise you, you'll see results in your marriage. And you can have the marriage of your dreams. Stand with me if you would this morning. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord, I pray your blessing on, on these people. I know that there are some of them here who are single and they're frightened concerning marriage. And I'm asking, Lord, this morning, your word says that perfect love casts out fear. That you have not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and power and of a sound mind. And Lord, I'm asking you right now to take away the fear of intimacy, the fear of marriage that the devil has put in there. And I just pray, God, that we would have a new picture in our minds of the institution of marriage as a beautiful, sacred, wonderful paradise that you created it to become. Every single person here who is desiring to be married, I pray, Father, that you would bring them a spouse from around the world, wherever they are right now, and that you would give them, Lord, the the person that you have perfectly chosen And in the time of wait between now and when that person shows up, that you would prepare them for the marriage that you want them to have. I'm asking for every person here this morning who's been divorced. And maybe they're remarried, maybe they're not remarried. But they've been wounded, they've been scarred, they've been violated. I'm asking this morning, Lord, for a healing in their soul. The hurt, the rejection, the fear. I'm asking, Father, this morning that you would give them new hope and a whole heart today to re-enter into marriage according to your plan. And I'm asking, God, for every married couple here in this sanctuary this morning, whether they're with their spouse or not, I'm asking that you would touch their marriage. I'm asking, Lord, for you to anoint their relationship and make it everything you want it to be, God, so they can both accomplish together what you've desired for them to accomplish. Lord, I bless this congregation. What a wonderful group of people. I pray that you'd open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing that they cannot receive physically, emotionally, spiritually, financially, in their families, relationships, jobs, in their studies. Whatever it is they're doing, God, I just pray your blessing on them. In Jesus' name.